you can. Snatch the pebble from my hand. When you take the pebble from my hand, it will be time for you to leave. Coming to you from the Philadelphia area. This is the Westchester Church Podcast. Remember always that a wise man walks with his head bowed, humble like the dust. I'd like to begin by going back to March, if I could, this morning. You might remember how we began the year with a series entitled Apprentices. Well, then all of this hilarity ensued and it got interrupted. (laughs) And so what I would like to do this morning, as well as complete in a few weeks, is I would like to return to that series 27 messages later. And I would like to continue in that where we left off. Now, you might remember in that series, we were speaking about how words like convert and church member are not words that we find anywhere in Scripture. How even the word Christian is a word that is only used three times in the entire Bible, and two of those those, um, three instances are in a negative connotation. But rather what we find again and again and again coming from the um, mouth of Christ as well as the Gospel writers is that a follower of his is referred to as a disciple. And in that series earlier on in the year, we were speaking about how really what a disciple is and our understanding is an apprentice who is working and who is wanting to become just like the one who has taught them. Well, as Jesus speaks about his disciples, he uses very conditional language. He uses words like if and but, words like daily, must, and whoever. And then Jesus says of these rare souls who live in such a way as that, he says, then truly you are my disciple. And yet again this morning, we are going to experience this in the book of John, in the eighth chapter, John chapter eight. And yet before we get to John chapter 8, though, I want to go somewhere with us. I want to take us to southern Poland and to central Germany in the early 1940s. I want to go to those, all of those places known of as Auschwitz, as Buchenwald and as Treblinka where millions upon millions of people find themselves as prisoners in these factories of starvation, of disease, and of mass death. We find these prisoners who are captive in these places where noxious plumes of smoke are floating out of chimneys day and night, and where deranged medical experimentation is being conducted. And yet I just want us to imagine if all the other world governments in that time got together and they had bombarded all of these concentration camps and and had announced to, to all of these Jewish people and all the others who were stuck there 
Would you like to be set free this morning? I can guarantee you that that every single one of those millions of people would have fallen to the ground weeping in celebration and of gratitude. I want to take us to plantation fields in 1800s Georgia, to Alabama, to Tennessee, and to Texas. In those hellish places where black backs were ravaged purple and the cracking of whips and beatings. In those places where men, women, and children were not men, women, and children, but they were looked upon as, as property and as human livestock. And yet imagine if our, our country came to their senses earlier than they did and they swarmed all of those plantation fields where, where there were black slaves being kept and they had asked all of those slaves, would you like to be set free tonight? The cheering and the shouting and the rejoicing and the singing would have been so loud that you could have heard it from space. Or maybe it's a woman who is lost at sea. She and her fiancé had started off on a voyage, and yet... There was a hurricane and, and their boat had been capsized and her fiancé had been killed, drowned in the waters. And now for 26 days, she has found herself adrift at sea, a hundreds, I mean hundreds of miles away from human life. And for almost a month, she has gone without food and she's got high fever and there's, there's sharks circling and there's piranhas in the waters and she's beginning to, to lapse into hallucinations. And you just imagine what kind of relief she would have had if all of a sudden, just as she had thought to herself, I'm going to die here, all of a sudden there was a, a helicopter who had spotted her and who had asked her, shouting at her on a megaphone, would you like to go home today? Would you like to get out of that boat right now? She would have been so overwhelmed with relief and with happiness that she would have thought that she was dreaming or hallucinating it. And when Jesus makes his entrance into our sad world of sin and darkness and hopelessness and hostility, Jesus again and again and again in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as well as every other day that has happened ever since, is calling out to us and to the rest of the world, would you like to be set free today? And this is what we see yet again in John chapter 8. As we begin in verse 31 of John chapter 8, I just want us to especially um, all pay a very close attention to what he says about his disciples and to his apprentices. Where it says in verse 31 of John 8, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say that you will become free? And so Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. 
The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I mean, what Jesus is saying to these people in so many other words is who wants to be set free this morning? And I mean, you would have thought that every single one of these people would have fallen to their knees sobbing in this otherworldly sense of happiness and relief. You would have expected all of the cheering and the celebrating and the singing so loud that it would reach the roof of space. But instead, their response? Uh, yeah, we're already free, Jesus. But thank you anyway. And in this text, there are three ironies that I immediately notice that I want to call to our attention for just a few moments this morning. And the very first of these ironies that we, we learn vicariously through these Israelites is that they were prisoners, and yet they didn't even know it. They were prisoners, and they didn't even know it. I mean, these are people who absolutely think and, and who are convinced that they have already been set free, and yet they are more shackled than they've already been. Well, we notice that they are, are slaves to nationalism, where just about everybody living in this particular time have, has this obsession with, with Jerusalem returning to its prominence again. They were obsessed with this concept of, let's make Jerusalem great again. You know, in substance recovery, the very first step, what they say is, you've got to acknowledge what the problem is out loud before you can get any better. And yet, what happens so oftentimes in our own individual struggles, whatever manifestations that they take in our lives, is that we spend so much time in denial that we have a problem. And we're seeing a lot of denial in what they say in verse 33, where they say to Jesus that, listen, Jesus, we, we have never been enslaved to anybody at any time in our history. Now, Jesus is not saying it, but I think if it were me, I would have been asking them questions like, you've never been enslaved to anyone? 17 generations of your ancestors living as slaves in Egypt? 48 years of exile in Babylon? I mean, if you were to just walk 60 yards outside of that temple, there would have been Roman officers all over the place with the red crest helmets. And that's because at this very moment in their time and in their history, Israel is under Roman occupation as they actually say these words, we've never been enslaved to anybody. You see, their addiction to the cocaine of nationalism is, is causing them to lapse into arrogance and into a delusional way of thinking. How just because they were Israelites who were walking and who were living on Jerusalem soil, that somehow, in some way, that meant that they were above everybody and that they were invincible. And what we learn from our um, predecessors of the faith 
is that there actually comes a point when obsessing on national freedoms and on rights and on politics, that can so easily become just another form of slavery that we can be in bondage to. I mean, don't get me wrong, patriotism is nice. And yet it's not the truth. It's not going to save our souls. It's not going to set us free. No, we need something that will set us free forever and ever and ever. Amen. And what Jesus is saying to them so gently here, and with so much love and with so much compassion, is that you don't have to keep hoping in this world and in this world alone. If you follow me long enough, I'm going to introduce you to this brand new way of living that, that you will, will go to the grave rejoicing in. And so they're slaves to nationalism, but they're also slaves of sin. And it seems like what they're thinking was is that just because we are the bloodline descendants of, of Abraham and Moses and Elijah and, and all of those guys, that that automatically means that the Hebrew blood pumping in our veins means that God is, is honored by the lives that we're living. Jesus is saying that whoever we obey is the one who we are enslaved to. And so Jesus is saying, no, you... You don't have to remain slaves to the flesh forever and ever. If you follow me long enough, I, I'm going to introduce you to this brand new way of life where you can be walking in the Spirit from now on. And yet it's remarkable because even their religion is a brand of slavery. Where they are captive and, and they are in captivity to the, all of these unwritten religious rules of the scribes and of the Sadducees. They are being held captive to the slavery of legalism where they're trying to earn their own salvation. What Jesus is saying is that you don't have to be captive to this religion that is made in your own image anymore. You, you don't have to be expected to live in this flawless perfectionism anymore. And I just think so oftentimes what the great tragedy is for every single generation who's ever lived and aspired to, to follow in the steps of Christ is that so oftentimes we as human beings search for truth and for freedom and for deliverance in all of the wrong places. So oftentimes what our greatest struggle is is that we actually think and we're convinced that we already are in possession of what Jesus Christ is offering to us. There's a whole lot of people in the world this morning who are prisoners and they don't even know it. And among those prisoners might just be you and me. And yet even if that were to be true for us this morning, Jesus is pleading. He's calling out to the, I mean, the whole entire human family that, that you don't have to be prisoners anymore. If you follow me long enough, I'm going to set your souls free and set them free indeed. And yet another great irony that we find is even worse than the fact that they were prisoners. A second irony is that they thought that they were children of God. And yet in reality, they were actually children of Satan. 
As our text unfolds, as we drop down into verse 43, Jesus asks them a question. He says, why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. And then he says something very, very strong in verse 44, where he says, you are of your father. And then he says, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desire." He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth within him. When he lies, he is speaking out of his own character. He's speaking his own native language, as one other translation so says, for he is a liar, and, he, and, and he's the father of lies. Jesus says, but because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. And so which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? And then at last he says in verse 47 that whoever is of God hears the words of God. And yet here's what your problem is. It's that he says the reason why you do not hear the words of God is that you are not of God. You see, their problem so oftentimes is what our struggle is as well, is that it's so much easier to abide in the world than it is to abide in the Word. What they say to Jesus earlier on, I believe it's in 39th verse, what they say is, well, Abraham is our father. Jesus is like, yeah, but your actions aren't saying that. Your attitudes and your conduct and your hearts are not confirming that you are the children of Abraham. But rather, all that they are confirming is that you are children of Sodom and Gomorrah. You are children of even the gates of hell itself. And we notice what the root of all of it is, is that they, they are despising the word of God. They don't want to hear the word of God. And I would say that as a minister, one of the most heartbreaking things that I've ever experienced have been the times where I have been speaking the words of life. The words of Jesus Christ are, are coming out of my mouth. And, and I look out into the auditoriums that I've been in in my lifetime. And I see people rolling their eyes. I've had people waiting for me in parking lots to lash out at me and to call me names and to accuse me of being a false teacher. I've had people who have been playing games on their iPhones as, as they heard the Sermon on the Mount. And the charge that really the reason why they were so angry with me and why, why they were doing all these things, I mean, I, w I was saying the words of Jesus, and the most elementary teachings of Christ. And there's been a lot of people in churches I've known who really didn't want to hear the words of God. And yet what breaks my heart even more than that, though, have been all the times that I spent earlier on in my ministry teaching as, as the edicts of God, unwritten rules, I used to condemn people if they didn't subscribe to my own opinions and to my own personal style of Christianity. And that grieves me to my heart that I 
had acted in that way at one time in my life. And yet it is a beautiful reality that we are enlightened to in John chapter 8, though. Where what we are experiencing in the text is something that, that we find all throughout the Word of God. Is that inhabiting temples and cathedrals and using, using religious phraseology does not make us children of God. But rather, what Jesus is revealing to us is that children of God inhabit the words of Christ and they listen for those words. And they welcome those words, they, they um, cherish those words, and they honor those words as if there will not be a next hour, let alone tomorrow. And what we're learning vicariously through, through these Israelites so many years ago is that when our hearts are closed to the words of Christ, and they're wide open to our own desires and to the things of this world and to the kingdoms of this world, we should ask ourselves, whose image am I being transformed into? To ask ourselves, whose child truly am I here this morning? And then one last irony that we find in this text is that truth was standing right in front of them. And yet they were declaring war on it. I mean, it happened all the time to Jesus in the Gospels. Where we find a group of people who are mesmerized by his miracle working. They are absolutely spellbound by his electrifying brand of teaching. They believe in him in the heat of a moment, but then maybe 10 minutes later, Jesus says something else as they continue listening to him. Then all of a sudden, they're trying to throw Jesus off a cliff. Or they're picking up stones so that they could stone Jesus. And why don't you know that this is exactly what is happening in John chapter 8. Jesus says, who wants to be set free this morning? And their response in verse 48 is this. Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and that you have a demon? Well, those words don't mean a whole lot to us, but in the first century Jewish world, this was the maximum insult that you could ever imagine saying to a Jewish man. Jesus says, who wants to be set free this morning? And, and really what the response is in verse 59, it says, and so they picked up stones to throw them at Jesus. And yet I just want to rewind to verse 30. Just before we get to our text in verse 31. Where this exact same audience, it is said of them, that as Jesus was saying these things, many had believed in him. And so in verse 30, these people are absolutely positively convinced that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And yet Jesus, in his infinite wisdom, though, is looking ahead into tomorrow. He's looking ahead at three weeks from, from now, at, at 16 years from the day in these people's lives. This is why he says, if you want to be set free, you've got to abide in my word. 
And I think the most difficult thing about abiding in the words of Jesus is that the longer that we continue listening to what Jesus has to say about our salvation and about what, what is righteous and what is unrighteous, is that the deeper that we follow Jesus, the more that those words are going to start clashing with our well-guarded church positions, with our unwritten church rules, with our political persuasions. It's going to be speaking about behavior that we perhaps might be engaging in, and it's going to be exposing it, referring to it as unrighteousness. We're either going to get very, very, very angry and in denial, or we're just going to keep on listening to what God has to say to us anyway. I think we've all experienced both of those reactions. I know that I have. God forgive me. Well, as Jesus says that if you abide in my word, that word abide in the Greek language means to stay anyway. It means that I'm going to wait this out even though I want to get away from, from all of this right now. And yet furthermore, it means to live somewhere, to dwell in a certain place. And so what we see, what we learn this morning from Jesus is that truth is not just a concept, but rather truth is a mansion over a hilltop. That God is wanting us to move into right now in this world, in this life, and to live all the days of our life within. And that in a world of lies and deception and fraud, that there is truth that we can know absolutely certainly is truth. And in a world of captivity, that there is absolute freedom that, that we can have all the days of our life. We can be set free. We need to be set free. Jesus died and rose from his grave so in order that we could be set free. But the question is, do we want to be set free? I've always been intrigued at the conversation Jesus has with Pontius Pilate. Where Jesus is speaking about truth to, to him. And what this Roman says, understandably, in, in, in his reaction, is he just kind of squints sideways at Jesus and, and goes, what is truth? What are you talking about when you say truth? And yet the answer comes in the very first words of the Gospel of John where we read that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 17 of John chapter 1 says that, that grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ himself is the very essence and embodiment of truth. Jesus Christ is God the Father's expression of love of grace, of peace, of mercy, and of power. He is the truth, but also his words are truth. Or it was those words of his mouth that, that spoke this, this beautiful universe into existence. 
It was those words that, that a father had been referring to as he said, No, Lord Jesus, just say the words, and my servant is going to be healed. And those words healed him at that very hour in time. It was the words out of his mouth, just, just three words, that had instantly silenced a turbulent sea storm on the water. And now that exact same mouth that had spoken a universe into existence and that healed people and that set them free from all kinds of diseases that even silenced nature itself now is, is addressing you and me. And he's saying, he's asking us a question. He's saying, who wants to be set free this morning? Who wants to be set free from the shame of yesterday? Who wants to be set free from all of the fears that we have of tomorrow? Who wants to be set free from sinful indulgences behind closed doors? Is there anybody within the sound of my voice who wants to be set free from a life spent being dominated by anxiety or by lust or, or by whatever it happens to be? Jesus is calling out to us, who wants to be liberated from the plantation fields of unforgiveness? Is there anybody who wants to be unshackled from the prison cell of worry and of selfishness? This past week I was reading someone whose name was, was Augustine, who lived many, many, many centuries ago and and there was a certain prayer that he prayed, and, and I read one sentence of that prayer, and I just could not get past it. It instantly captivated me, and ever since, it is becoming a part of my own language as I pray. Where what Augustine had expressed to, to God in his prayer is that our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And isn't that exactly what Jesus is saying in our text this morning? And isn't that exactly what Jesus is asking the whole human family every single minute of every single day of our existence? It's the summons that if you will abide in my words, you're going to know what truth is. And that truth is going to set you free indeed. My brothers and sisters, every single hour of every single day, what we need to do is very evident, isn't it? We've got to seek those words. We've got to go deeper in those words. We've got to continue dwelling in those words. We've got to move into the mansion of those words and to live for those words and to live those words all the days of our life.